This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 3, Episode 25, The Business of Writing Comics. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. I'm Jake. We are back again with Jake Black, author of The Authorized Enders Companion and many and varied comic books. And this week we're going to be talking about the business of writing comics. So let's start with the burning question that everyone has had all week long. How did you get into this business and what advice can you give them to do the same? Uh, I'm glad that you asked it, how did I get into this business, rather than how would someone get into this business, because the short answer is you can't. Uh, <laughs> no, that's, and that's I've our heard, episode. I've, <laughs> I've, I've heard Jake tell this before. I love this explanation. Yeah, um, okay. Um, a couple of, uh, well, almost 10 years ago now, I started as an intern on the TV show Smallville. It was uh, heavily overseen by DC Comics. Obviously, it's a mm -hmm. Superman property, and they are very specific in watching uh, over the intellectual property. Um, I, I started as an intern. I was a writer's intern. They had me um, working on online projects. They had Smallville was the first show to do like viral marketing for the pro for the, the the show or the movie or whatever. Um, and actually won a lot of awards. And one of the things that I did is I wrote in character for the Smallville newspaper, quote unquote newspaper. Um, I wrote as the characters on the show, writing for the newspaper. Um, and after the show was on the air for about a year, uh, DC Comics decided to do comics based on the show. Uh, and because I was still really good friends with the people that worked on it, um, I asked if I could be brought on to do one of these comics, and I co-wrote a story with one of the uh, head writers on the show, mm -hmm. and it was pu uh, published by DC Comics. Now, that meant that my first comic book that I wrote was published by DC Comics. That's very unusual in the industry. Um, I had really no credibility, and I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wanted to just jump in and yeah. write comics. If you didn't have the TV show background. Right. Helping you out. Right. Yeah, that's uh, th that's actually more common than than I think people think is uh, getting in from you know other media. I mean, you can see that with Joss Whedon and Scott Card and all these well, people. Well, it's not just getting in from other media; it's getting in from who you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that you worked mm -hmm. there as an intern, knew the names of these people, and and had a good working relationship with them. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Right. And that's that we we talked about in last week's show. Um, like fan fiction, and I don't. I don't think this was part of the actual podcast, but we made the joke how I get paid to write fan fiction, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that this professional working relationship is the thing that sets apart a professional from a fan fiction community. Um, a lot of times, um, fans don't have the best reputation on working on something like yeah. this, and. You don't want to you don't want to bash your audience, and so I'm I'm really trying to be careful here because I want to make clear that fan fiction is a fantastic thing. And in fact, I wrote fan fiction when I was in high school, and when I was working on Smallville, they asked me what my writing experience was, and I said that I would just write like Lois and Clark stories was the example that I used. I would write Lois and Clark stories uh, because I wanted to read them. I didn't mm -hmm. you know this yeah. this was before the internet was really 
a, a common yeah. thing. And so I didn't really have anyone to share these stories with. I just wrote them because I wanted to read them. And the writers uh, that I told this to, uh, one of them was Mark Verheiden, who went on to be an executive producer on Battlestar Galactica. Uh, he wrote the movie The Mask and uh, Time Cop, and he's a producer on Heroes now. Um, and Michael Green, who um, went on to work on Jack and Bobby and um, that show that shot in Utah that was on the WB as well. I can't remember what it's mm. called. Um, Touched by an Angel? No. Everwood. Everwood. That was it, yeah. <laughs> no, not Touched by an Angel. Um, and then he, <laughs> Keep going. he was... <laughs> and then he created the show Kings that aired for a couple of episodes, episodes. on NBC. Yeah. yeah. But they were really supportive of the idea that I had written fan fiction because I cut my teeth. Mm -hmm. And so combining that with the professional, I don't, I don't know if it's demeanor or what the, the right thing to call it, but the working yeah. relationship that I established mm -hmm. with the, the staff at Smallville, they felt comfortable and confident going to DC Comics and, and saying, recommending you and recommending me. Okay, right. it, it sounds like what you're saying is what we say when people ask how do, they get, how, how, how do you get your first novel published is you have to put in the work beforehand. Yep. You have to, you can't go in cold you need to work on it before, you need to do a lot of stuff that will never see the light of day, a lot of stuff that gets rejected, and then eventually you break in, and hooray. So now that you're in, um, what do you do to find work? You started doing um, you know, a, couple, a, a comic or two for DC, and now you're doing all these things. You're on Ninja Turtle titles, and you're on a lot of other titles. Mm -hmm. How did you get those? How do you find new work as a comic writer? It's, it's constant. You, you mentioned... Um, a lot of rejection. I still get a lot of rejection. So much of what I pitch just never, mm -hmm. never you know, works or is successful. Um, it's maintaining the relationships, though. That's, that's so key. And I think, I think that's the same in prose writing. You have to have a good relationship with the editor because editors have all of the power in the publishing world, whether yeah. it's prose, whether it's comics, whatever it is. Um, I've done a lot of animation work, too, and I've done it again through relationships and it's it's really it's really cool to see kind of kind of trace the the path i guess for how these relationships happened uh, after my first comic was published by dc i thought that that meant i would be able to work i have my pick of the titles at dc and marvel and you know because i'd done one comic at dc comics and <laughs> So now, you know, I was going to be like Jeff Johns or Neil Gaiman. So there's a reality <laughs> check waiting yeah, there, for you. There was a reality <laughs> check waiting for me. I, sent, I think that I, I think every copy of that first Smallville comic that I wrote has passed my hands at some point because I kept buying them on eBay and sending them out to every editor that I could find. And it wasn't just at DC and Marvel, but it was at independent publishers and everywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's what got me on Ninja Turtles was the fact that I had done this this DC thing. And, and who's the publisher for the Ninja Turtles? Um, it is Mirage currently, but only for about three more months. Mirage is Peter Laird and Kevin Neesman, who created the Ninja mm -hmm. Turtles. They established Mirage Studios 25 years ago, and they called it that because it wasn't really a studio. It was just them, and they needed to have a corporate yeah. identity. Yeah. So it was a Mirage. Um, but Mirage just sold the IP rights to Viacom. So oh, okay. yeah, like, cool. two, like two weeks ago. And so they're publishing Turtles comics through May, and but then that's that's it. They they hold the rights so Peter can do more Ninja Turtle comics if he ever wants to, but he's so burnt out on 
25 yeah. years in Ninja yeah. Turtles. That now you said something interesting. You said that uh, you know you got that job because you had the the Smallville credit. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to take issue with that. You got that job because you were able to put a Smallville comic that had your name on it mm. in front of them. Okay. And you beat the streets you for months yep. doing that, putting that Smallville comic in front of people, and you got one bite. Right. Okay, that's lesson for our listeners. Mm -hmm. um, should we let them chew on that lesson while we break for a commercial? I believe we should. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. With Brandon out of town signing Wheel of Time books, it's appropriate for me to plug Wheel of Time books from Audible. I've been listening to the first five uh, Wheel of Time titles, uh, recorded by Kate Reading and Michael Kramer. Um, fantastic audiobooks. They've been, been very, very engrossing. They're also very, very long, which is why I've only read or had five books read to me when uh, I'm sure everybody else is all caught up and can pick up The Gathering Storm right now. Um, so, yeah, grab yourself some Wheel of Time audiobooks. Good stuff. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. And we're back. And we are back. We were talking about um, the importance of putting in the work. You know, as soon as you have something, you know, you have one credit in comics, then you can't just rest on that. You have to put in a lot more work. And in many ways, it sounds like getting your second shot at a comic was possibly more difficult than getting your first shot at a comic. Uh, it, it was. It for sure was. And I think my, like, every story is unique in the comics mm -hmm. industry. Nobody um, has the same way that they got in. Um, it, though my story is shockingly similar to Jeff Johns, I'm not Jeff Johns by any means, and he's far more successful in writing comics than I will not yet. ever be. No, I, <laughs> I can tell you for actual full-on fact that I, he is far more successful than I will ever be. Um, I, I was in an I was in an intern I was an intern on a comic books related TV show. I was working in the comics industry that way, mm -hmm. and it transitioned into the actual format of a comic book. Um, so many other ways, you know. Yeah. Let, let, let me anticipate some of the fan questions because I know that uh, there's going to be a lot of people asking these. The first is a question that I get all the time, and I'm sure that uh, people are going to wonder: as a comics artist, is there livable money in that? Do 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 you make a living at that? I don't write just comics. There, it is possible to make a living as a comics creator. Howard can tell you that, but it's not. It's not exclusively what I do. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't make enough money if I just did comics. Uh, Which is why you do other things like animation. And, right. Okay. Right. But you do make a living as a creative writer. Right? Yeah, you're making a living as a writer. As a writer. And that's, right. And that's the dream. Comics, so. comics is a great thing to add to your stable right. of writing, right. especially if you're interested in writing things like uh, you know, screenplays or right. animation because the formats are 
almost interchangeable. I mean, you can't, right. they're, they're not fully interchangeable. Right. And but. There's, there's a lot of crossover industry-wise, too. The people that run the animation industry, no, excuse me, are the, like, the story editors on a show is the same as the editor in comics. And a lot of the story editors in the animation industry are like the top names in comics. You know, it's mm -hmm. people like Christopher Yost and uh, Dwayne McDuffie and people like that that, um, you know, th well, they're doing the same thing that I'm mm -hmm. doing. They're making follow a living the, as a writer. Follow the money. Right. Disney owns Marvel and right. Warner owns DC and the Viacom marriage. Viacom owns the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah, the, the marriage of uh, full motion media and comics is complete. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> so so here, here's another uh, anticipatory question. Um, to what extent can producing your own comic, whether it's online or you know just something self-produced, uh, to what extent can that get you into a real job at an actual comics studio? Um, that's that's a really common way that people break in. Okay. The challenge now, though, and this is I think this is in part because of the economy, in part because of just the way the industry has evolved over the last few years, is it's really hard to get yourself creator-owned comic book series mm -hmm. out there. Okay. The the industry is kind of controlled, maybe even monopolized by uh, the distributor Diamond, who sends out to the comic book stores. They're the one, they sell to comic book stores. Comic book stores order their merchandise from Diamond comic distributors. And Diamond has to make a profit. And they've recently, just in the last six months or so, raised the minimum on uh, numbers of issues that you have to sell mm -hmm. for them to carry or distribute your title. That's not to say that there are no other distribution options, but it's a much more uphill battle to get out that way. And now having said that, if you're doing creator-owned title to make money, you're in the wrong business because you're not going to make money, for the most part, you, you, know, you might be fortunate yeah. like Howard and hit hit a chord and have thousands of fans. Um, and Hundreds of thousands. <laughs> but for the most part, if when people go into a comic book store, comic books are four bucks an issue now. And they're going to go with the ones. They're going to go with the stuff they know. With they're going to go with the know. stuff they know. And that, well, yeah. the other thing is that if you're, if you're trying to do creator-owned property, um, you lack the infrastructure to get into Diamond, to, to get into these comic book stores. You can get into the local stores. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you can shop that around and maybe you can use that as a resume piece and say, hey, here, look, I wrote a comic. Will you let me write a comic for you? And I think that's more, that's a more successful route. That's a more route successful route. Mm -hmm. What I would tell people is that if you really want to do a creator-owned comic, do it as a web comic because mm -hmm. the moment you start trying to burden yourself with print uh, the the whole infrastructure of print distribution, uh, you're you're going to kill the creative fire. Spend yeah. some time just writing stories and putting them online, and if you get lucky and strike a chord like I did, and and there's you know a, about a hundred similar stories to mine out there where guys are making a full time living at it, then then that'll work. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would not, I would I strongly discourage people from self publishing uh, comic books. And there's, <laughs> what a horrible idea that is. There's, yeah. there's competitions. Like, I think Image has one, Top Cow I know has one, um, and DC runs a kind of a webcomic, but it's not really a webcomic, I don't think. Thing so you're talking about Zuda. Zuda. Yeah. yeah, there's, there's yeah. Zuda, and there's the Amazon, uh, the 
the top comic contest on mm -hmm. Amazon that they're they're recently doing. And um, Top Cow does pilot season, but yeah. even like pilot season yeah. is tough. So there's there's options or opportunities for you to get your creator own stuff out there mm -hmm. to be picked up by a bigger company. But again, like it, it, yeah. more, more likely you're just going to catch somebody's attention and then they'll say, here, write my mm -hmm. thing for me. Mm -hmm. So um, now, now we talked about some contests. We talked about how you were, were interning with DC. If somebody is out there and wants to get into this business, um, what other routes are there for them to get their work in front of the right people? Uh, do, do you recommend that they go to certain conventions? Um, yeah. What, what kind of stuff can they do? They, they should go to conventions, um, but smaller conventions, Such like not San Diego. Don't try to get work from San Diego because it's so massive that the editors don't really even look at what they're given there anymore. Okay. Um, but like, there's one in Phoenix that I think the publishers go to, or at least some editors. Mm -hmm. um, there's one in Seattle called Emerald City, which is a fantastic convention. Emerald City Comic Con is a delightful event. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. Um, and even even the New York Comic Con is better than San Diego. It's a huge convention, but again, um, more more likely to ha have, have an opportunity to pitch an editor editors. or mm -hmm. to show someone your your work. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, very good. Uh, we're essentially out of time. Do you have any final words on the business of comics? Um, I know that Howard wants me to say this part because he loves it so much. <laughs> Oh, um, now I'm excited. It better <laughs> I, not be luxury. <laughs> no. I have, I have a, a friend and mentor in the industry who's named Mark Wade, and he's written over a thousand comic books in his 25-year career. And he learned from someone, and I can't remember who it was. I meant to look it up today before I came, but um, he used to say that you need two of three things to be successful in comics. You need to be the most brilliant writer that ever lived, you need to absolutely make your deadlines, and you need to be the editor's favorite person to work with. If you have two of those three things, you'll make it. I tend to think that I meet my deadlines and people like working with me more than my stuff is brilliant. I don't really think my stuff is necessarily brilliant. Now, having said that, he, uh, he changed his mind recently and said, really, you just have to be good now. You can, the, the industry is... Um, moving in such a way that if you're not good now, the companies don't have time to wait for you to get good. And you may only have one shot to mm -hmm. break in. And that can be defeatist, but I think it's pretty realist as well. Um, and also the other thing that he likes, that Howard likes is, and this is another Mark Wade quote, is it's kind of like breaking into a military industrial complex. Everyone has their own way of getting in. But once they find the hole that you tore in the fence to get in, they patch that and make sure no one else can get in that way. So every experience is unique, every story is unique, and you just, if you work hard enough, you can do it. If you're talented enough, you can do it. But it is a really, really hard industry to break into. And you've really got to love the industry in order to even start that. It's, mm -hmm. uh, if you want to write comics, you, you've got to be doing it because that's, what, that's where your passion lies. Because right. if you're not passionate about writing comics, then uh, your first setback is going to send you into writing you know, technical articles for Wired. And on that depressing note... <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> no, the note we'll end on is, it is possible we are sitting in the presence of a man who has done it and who makes it his living. So, 
Go out and do it. I have um, a writing prompt. Writing prompt. Let's hear it. Our superhero gained his superpowers by writing technical articles <laughs> for Wired. Excellent. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.